0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Selby is Godcast. I am TJ Zuppi. He is Zach Meisel. You can listen to the podcast and catch us every single week wherever you happen to listen to podcasts, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. Or if you'd like to help support the podcast, you can find the links which we tweet out at TJ Zuppi, Zach Meisel, and at Selby is Godcast on Twitter, finding us on Anchor. What is up, buddy?
1: absolutely nothing what's going on
0: well you just had some good dinner a little jealous this is be. this will be day what what day are you on now out in, in good year <laughs> you know better than to ask what day of the week it is what the date is i, I didn't ask any of that just how many days I, I figured you at least etched a couple of notches on the walls so far this is day um, th- three, four for you. I, I already lost. As camp. we're
1: recording this, it's the end of day three. Yeah. And day three of camp is,
0: well, the days all start to bleed together when you do get to spring training games. But you at least get that initial excitement of it actually being a game. When you're out as early as you are, what in the hell is happening? What are you
1: doing? You know, it's interesting that you ask that because it's it's so weird that I really like the days at the beginning of camp before games start because you have the whole day. Like my first two days out here, I went I hiked in the mountains and it's it's awesome when the games start. and You have a game every day. You just turn into a robot and it's the same routine and you're getting up early and heading to the ballpark and going into the clubhouse and then watching some batting practice and fielding drills. And then you're talking to the manager and you're going back into the clubhouse and then you're grabbing something really quick to eat and then going to the ballpark and covering a game. And then you're going home and going to bed and doing it all over again every single day for however many days. Well, before games start, it's so much more laid back. Players are even, you know, they're not rushing to get somewhere. They're not rushing to get to the cages or to the game to the bus, um, they're, they're, they're more than willing to hang out and spend some time with you just because, yeah, like maybe they're going to go play nine holes of golf, but if they get to the golf course at two instead of one thirty, it's not the end of the world. Um, but at the same time, it's, you're right. It's like, what do you do? And what are you talking to people about? Because it's February, whatever it is. And opening day's six weeks away, a lot of these guys are, you know, you either have a job secured and and we're familiar with them and we know what their role is going to be, or we know they're not going to be on the team and we're not going to really get to know them for another year or two, or there's like a small handful of guys who are competing for jobs. And those are the guys that are the toughest to find because they're the ones who are rushing from field to field to batting cage to, you know, training table. So it's, it's weird. I like this week, but it's, it's a little strange and it's difficult to cover just because, again, like we can ask Terry Francona what he thinks about Christian Arroyo, but he's never seen him play. So it's, you know, there's only so much you can write, so much you can do. Um, I, I like having the days open. I like hiking in the mountains. Um, and it's a lot better than driving out to Maryville to watch Argenis Angulo pitch the eighth inning of a 10 2 spring game.
0: Mm, can't wait to talk to you when you're doing that, though. That'll be the highlight of my spring. (laughs) Well, you did have a little bit of romance, at least a table for two on Valentine's Day, that being the surgery table, with Mike Clevenger and his surgeon. As Clevenger gets his left knee repaired, and we learn that it's going to be a six- to eight-week timetable. You and I had been discussing this a little bit via text. I mean, there is a... When you suffer an injury like this, there's a worst case Armageddon scenario where you're not going to see somebody for maybe half a year. And then there's the probably more likely one where they go in, they do some arthroscopic surgery, and you hope that you're back in a month, maybe six weeks, maybe a little bit longer than that. But my initial thought is Mike Clevenger laughed in the face of timetables last year and made it back much sooner than any of us
1: anticipated. Can this dude pull this shit off again? He sure thinks so. Um, he didn't, you know, last year, if you remember, he was like assertive from the beginning, saying six to eight weeks before I pick up a baseball, screw that, I'll be back in eight weeks or nine weeks, whatever it was, um, back on a Major League mound. And he was. This he wasn't so, you know, it wasn't like some declaration where he said, I'm going to be back in a month. Book it. But he did say, I've heard guys who have come back from this in one month. And that's the goal. Um Now, he said he's got to listen to his knee and and just push it, but not force it. Um
0: Well, if he's trying to get his knee up to his ear, that's not going to help the recovery time. <laughs> That He does it, me thinking he does about it in it. his
1: delivery. He does it in his delivery every pitch. No, but the, the one thing that... Uh, the delivery is the thing, though, that he, it's so violent and he's got all these mm. moving parts and there is a lot of uh, burden on that left knee that, you know, you need to make sure he's 100% healed before he goes and, and like, starts practicing field goals. That's what it looks like when he's, <laughs> you know, sweeping his leg up in the air. But, I mean, it's... On, he had the surgery Friday. Saturday, he kind of hobbled into the clubhouse. The trainer was helping him walk in there. He's got crutches, moving very gingerly. And then Sunday, he's like he's got the crutches, but he's walking. <laughs> so, And he, he said that he was told the pain would subside Sunday, and, and they're going to try to find ways for him to keep his arm in shape while he can't move the way he wants to move. So it's... You know it's it's interesting that he has the surgery, and where fans and are rightfully freaking out like here we go again, and it's not out of the realm of possibility that he's back on or near opening day,
0: yeah, I wouldn't put it past him just based on the the kind of guy that we know he is where they need to put a parachute on his back just to slow him down, and seeing him do it last year with uh a back injury that everyone said was might've kept him out almost the entire season. And he came back and was just still so good. And my biggest concern there still remains my biggest concern, but I'll get to that in a second, because I had three ways of thinking about it. And I'm curious if you think this is a fair way to rank the, uh, the areas of concern. The first one is the easy one. And that's time of activity missed. And in that, the amount of starts that he was going to miss in this situation. And it, through this entire thing, it was that was the the one thing that probably concerned me the least. I figured uh, with the, the way that they got the surgery so quickly, if this was something that they thought was going to be a massive problem where he legitimately could be out several months, they typically mm-hmm. seem to do their homework on cases like that, where they're going to shop around different doctors, different opinions, and make sure – what they're doing before they go out and do it, because that's a big commitment to just take somebody off the table for for two, three months uh, at a time. So the fact that they got it done so quickly spoke to me that it probably wasn't going to be that concerning. Maybe he misses two, three starts. Maybe it's a little bit longer than that. But I would be shocked if he's not uh, back in some capacity by the end of April. My The second thing. And that's just me completely speculating. I don't know shit. I'm not a doctor. No, I mean,
1: I agree 100%.
0: The second thing that was just a little bit more concerning, and it's something that you brought up when we talked about it, is we've seen guys that don't get a normal spring training struggle Mm -hmm. to play catch-up. But the reason why I didn't think that that was uh, super concerning is it feels like, and it would be interesting to actually sit down and do research, and this would be a really <laughs> lengthy research project, but I would, I would think that it's probably more difficult for the hitters to do that as opposed to the pitchers. You always talk about pitchers being ahead of hitters early in the year. Hitters have to get their timing. It's not necess- I mean, through your delivery, there's some timing and checkpoints, but if you're okay mechanically, you're not trying to line up and hit the ball that you're throwing. I'm probably a little less concerned than if this was a hitter missing all of spring training. Is, is that fair so far? Yes. The biggest concern for me, and you brought it up with the delivery, is is this going to be something that hampers all of the hard work that he put in to build the velocity that has taken him from really good pitcher to upper echelon top 10 pitcher in the game right now? Because his his delivery is so violent, because he's a guy that, you know, I, and I talked to him in 2018, when, right after he had make, made the changes, so many of the changes in addition to just weight training and 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 building strength was making sure his delivery was was top notch and, and being balanced on the mound and being able to, to finish the delivery the way that he wanted and making sure that he stayed over the rubber and, and crossed it at the right times. And we see the, the other leg fly up and it, all of that seemingly is a big part of of what has helped make him a, a studly pitcher. And I ran through and I, I plan on writing about this in the next few days, too, but I ran through just the fastball. How key is that velocity for him? It's pretty easy when you start looking at the the whiff rate on the fastball, and that is the amount of the rate of whiffs that you get, swing and miss, on attempts that the hitter actually takes. So how many times do you get a swing and miss divided by how many times does he actually swing? The fastball, when it's between uh, 96 to 97 miles per hour last year, was a little over 40% of the time. Did they swing? They completely swung through it. If it drops just one notch into the 95 to 96 territory, then it drops all the way to 29%. And if you go down another mile per hour, it's all the way down to 21%. That's not me saying he's bad, but you're talking about the difference between like 2018, really good Mike Clevenger and 2019 all-world Mike Clevenger. And we know this team needs Mike Clevenger to be all-world Mike Clevenger this year.
1: We've talked about this. Like, they have depth, right? You think about Clevenger and Beaver and Carrasco, and then we thought it would be a, a battle between Plutko, Savali and Pleac for those last two spots. But then beyond them, you have Logan Allen, who told me the other day he's—he said he's already ten times the pitcher he was last <laughs> year. Yes, when he made the, somebody else the in debut the, with the Padres. best
0: shape of their life.
1: Fantastic. <laughs> Um, We can, we can talk more about this maybe next time we link up for a podcast, but he had some interesting things to say about what the Indians do well and maybe what other teams don't do well with, with pitching development and, and instruction. But you have Logan Allen, you have Tristan McKenzie, you have Jeffrey Rodriguez, you have Scott Moss. We can even throw Eli Morgan in there just as guys who maybe could lend a hand in 2020. That's 10 starting pitchers, right? Or 11 if we include Clevenger. Um, but a lot of it is still untested. You know, the last five names have barely any uh, Logan Allen and Jeffrey Rodriguez are the only two of those five who have any major league experience and they don't have much at all. Polisak and Savali burst onto the scene last year before the Indians were ready for them to. Um, so you, you hope they take steps forward, but you really don't know. So the, the main point here is that you're right. Like they need Clevenger and Bieber and Carrasco to anchor this rotation because while they've shown that they can tap into that depth and and get results if they need to, you still don't know until that happens and you'd prefer if it doesn't happen and you'd prefer if it does happen, it's not happening at the expense of probably the guy who has the most ability and potential of anybody uh, in the rotation and that's Clevenger. So it's, it's you don't want to have to follow the, the formula that ended up working last year in a roundabout way. And if Clevenger can get healthy quickly and, and return to form, that's obviously the best case scenario. Yeah, because depth, uh, we both agree, they have
0: a lot of depth. And if they had to go for a a small length of, of time and plug one of those guys in, I think any of them would be just fine. But you're talking about the drop-off drop between guys that we think could be solid, and probably in their careers maybe even better than solid, and a guy that is a top-ten pitcher right now in the game and, and maybe even higher. The drop-off is always going to be big when you're talking about something like that. So it's not just having depth, but do you have star level pitching depth? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's untested. And my biggest point is if Clevenger comes back and he is, you know, an older version of himself, because he's not quite, doesn't have quite the same giddy up on the fastball because he can't, build it the, the same way that he that he has in, in years past or can't maintain it in, in year the, the way that he has at least in the early portions of last year then you're getting a lesser version of himself and so that's going to impact his performance so that's my biggest I, I don't worry about him getting back I don't worry about him being able to pitch games I'm just worried is he going to still be able to be the best version of himself and, and right now we don't know
1: yeah I think the frustrating thing is that that was probably the most stable part of the roster I think we both agree the the bullpen has a ton of potential especially if you get late in the season and maybe a toss mckenzie and logan allen in the bullpen and jeffrey rodriguez even if you want to go along with karen check and class a and and brad hand and whoever else and it's like that's really intriguing but everything i just said that that's a lot of ifs <laughs> and we have spent plenty of time talking about the question marks on offense it's like The rotation was supposed to be that one solid foundation. And now you're throwing a little bit of a hurdle in its way. And and it's, you know, it's just, I I said the other day on the radio, I I didn't, of course, this is what made the headline. But like, not that this was the absolute worst thing that could have happened in spring training because, you know, everybody getting coronavirus would be worse. Like, this was this was almost, it was up there. It was probably a nine on the scale of one to 10 or maybe an eight because he thinks he's going to be back pretty soon. But um, this is not what you want just because it, we, we've seen this sort of thing have a ripple effect where a guy tries to come back and it takes longer and you miss spring training and you miss that gradual buildup. And, and it just, it makes you then question what your rotation's going to be early in the season. And you're already going to be trying to answer questions on offense. And it's just, it would have been nice and comforting for the Indians if they went into the season with their rotation set, knowing that that could be the foundation, and then, you know, you would be getting a solid start most nights. And now that, that comes into question. So it's, it's unfortunate, especially since it was such a freak thing. And that's what really ticked off Clevenger is he went home. He got a little bit of treatment. He went home Wednesday night and, and felt okay thought he was fine and then thursday morning he woke up and he couldn't place any weight on that leg so um it was a freak thing and he's just glad now that it's you know it's not an acl or an mcl something that would have cost him the entire season
0: yeah clev needs to get used to that as you get older you you go to bed thinking you're fine and you go to get up
1: (sighs) my back
0: he is 29 i mean yeah i feel it do you want to share you you said you had a funny story to tell
1: just about how you learn the information. Well, so, you know, I got a tip Thursday night that Clevenger was on crutches and I was able to get that confirmed by a couple of other sources. So I knew he was on crutches. I didn't know why or what was happening. Um, you know, so you you try to piece all the information together. You go to a you try to go to a couple different areas because you need more than one source to, to confirm something and to feel comfortable about reporting it. Um but also I mean I know Mike Clevenger, and I know he's a goof. I know like we have a good relationship, but I mean this is why. I reached out to him and I said, Hey, you on crutches? And he replied, Nope, just stilts. i'm like what the hell am i supposed to do with this information (laughs) and i didn't even answer him because i was like packing that night and um he replied like a half hour later again and just set like a winky face and i'm like i'm like this this is not helping at all so i'm i'm like stressing out because i'm trying to get this information together it's late at night and i'm like I don't know. I had a Southwest flight Friday morning, and we know what happened last time I was on a Southwest flight going across the country and trying to break news. I didn't have Wi-Fi, and I'm sitting there in front of Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff, and they're wrapping up a trade with Edwin Encarnacion and and Carlos Santana, and I'm sitting there like an idiot not having Internet access. So um, long story short, I was <laughs> I had all the information – I had a layover in Milwaukee that was like 30 minutes and I had all the information just as we're taking off. And I'm like this, please don't let this happen again.
0: <laughs> Thankfully
1: I had wifi and I was, I was able to tweet it out. But I, when I saw Clevenger for the first time, I think Saturday, he immediately, first thing he said was what, you didn't think my joke was funny. And I'm like, I'm like, you got to feel the room, man. I'm trying to do my job and you're, you're sitting here <laughs> cracking jokes. So, um, No, it was just it's, it's like that sort of thing only happens when you have other things occupying your brain space, you know, where you're like trying to figure out. Okay, I got to pack, I got to get to bed early because I have an early morning flight, and I, and then you, you get a call or a text telling you, hey, by the way, your the team you cover, well, their ace pitcher is is about to have knee surgery, so um, it's just it's uncanny.
0: It should feel. Normal now, whether it's Bauer's pinky or Clevenger on stilts. I mean, this this sort of thing does happen, at least this wasn't a drone accident. I know a lot of I know a lot yeah. of Bauer has rubbed off on Clevenger, but I don't think drones is part of the the allure here between the two,
1: well, as Clevenger put it, he said, bad things happen in threes, and this is his third freak injury. And you know, it was he was kind of vague about it because we were thinking okay well this obviously the the injury last year was a freak thing the upper back strain we're like what was the third one we're like what are you talking about and then i remembered obviously tommy john surgery um and that's i mean that's usually unpredictable so he said thing bad things happen in three so he declared this is his last injury of his career um so that's good news if you're an indians fan i guess
0: Yeah, let's see if that's uh, as effective as Michael Scott just yelling, I declare bankruptcy! (laughs) Like, just saying, nope, that's it, injury (laughs) gods, I'm done. (laughs) The the meter is out, we've run out, you've wasted your three, you're on to the next one.
1: (laughs) I didn't say it, I declared it. (laughs) I do want to say, my my wife and I were were re-watching The Office. For her, it was the second time. For me, it was like the 302nd um in the weeks leading up to to spring training and <laughs> the timing worked out perfectly where she is you know the episode scott's tots where he screws of over course. all those college kids um
0: you know i, I knew be college was,
1: kids i knew it was season six uh episode 12 and it just worked out perfectly where the night before i left we watched the episode before it and then i went off to spring training she didn't know and she she like that episode caused her nightmare she absolutely hates it it's just <laughs> awful and she texted me the, the the day i got out here and was like hey do you care if i keep watching the office and i'm like go right ahead <laughs> enjoy and she turns it on and scott's tots is on first and i just it made me laugh <laughs>
0: but they did get laptop batteries out of it. Right. So, yeah. All right. Well, no ace pitcher for the next six to eight weeks. We'll see if that ends up uh, being a shorter timetable or not. Neither I have a random Indian of the day for you kind of. Oh, okay. Well, before we got there, I just wanted to, I mean, you've been out in spring training now for a few days. It's not quite the, the fun of <laughs> the everyday games. And running out in the fourth inning to go talk to a pitcher behind a dumpster somewhere out in <laughs> <laughs> which which ball, I can't remember which one is the one we have to go sprinting outside and oh it's, it's Peoria, isn't it? it? Yeah, yeah. Yep. That's the one in Peoria. <laughs> you have to leave the ballpark, go sprinting around the side and just hope that that player hasn't left on the bus the amount of, of of energy that reporters waste trying to get somewhere in a hurry for something that really doesn't matter. A few years ago, Jordan Bastian and I sprinted from one end of the ballpark all the way out to center field to catch Austin Jackson before he got on the bus. And it was like any other stupid post-game nothing burger sort of chat. And it, and I, I turned to Jordan afterwards, and I'm like – we, on the way out here we, we were running like this was the most important thing that we could ever do in our lives and now that we made it out here and we talked to austin jackson managed to ask him three questions we're both freaking out of breath as we get out there and austin jackson has to be looking at like what are these idiots doing <laughs> and he gets back on the bus and th- what why did we do this <laughs> this was not necessary whatsoever but it felt like you know it was the the one thing that was going to justify being out there and having 12 trips to Panda to turn in this month.
1: Well, that's the thing about spring training is there's a lot that is so valuable just in terms of you have all the players, all the coaches, all the front office people under one roof and their schedules are more relaxed. So you're able to, to dig deeper. You're able to they're more willing and inviting to, to talk to you. There's also so much of spring training that is pointless and, and monotonous and unnecessary. And the games are a big part of that. I mean, it's we obviously want to be there because people want to know who's looked good, who hasn't, and who's injured, and what did Terry Francona think of this performance. But man, you think about some of the hours you waste watching <laughs> just some of the worst baseball and or just watching batting practice on field six um, for the 13th consecutive days. You got to pick your spots and you have to be, it, it helps the more times you come out here and you do it because you, you learn what is valuable because it's, we want to be able to provide our readers and our listeners with, with the most informative and interesting things. And, and you learn how to get those things more efficiently, the more you're out here, I think. I just think back to, like, the days when those interviews, like, oh, my God, if I missed the guy who pitched the fifth <laughs> inning of this game, um, who's answering three questions for 30 seconds in, you know, in the right field corner, like, what am I going to do without that interview? It's like, that's not the big, not not a big deal. There, there's you know a what? lot of minutiae that it's okay if you let it go.
0: Do you know what hell is? Maybe hell is everyone's own personal hell. And you get, when you get there, you find out what your personal hell is. I think I know what mine is. I think it's talking to Corey Kluber after a spring training start. Mm. Yep. It's bad well, enough Aaron talking Savali to Cory Kluber.
1: Kluber. <laughs>
0: okay, fair. I mean, he, he did volunteer the information that he got engaged. <laughs> it looked like. It was uh, the worst experience of his life, or something. Talking about it, um, but yeah, if you talk to Corey Kluber after a regular season start, you come away like, yeah, "What is? What am I going to use any of, out of any of that?" That's every spring start for Corey Kluber. It was, <laughs> "Hey, uh, were you working on anything? No, no, just going out there, trying to execute, trying to get ready." Uh, okay. And it's the same three questions every start. And I, I had nothing else to bring to the table because what was he gonna say?
1: Uh, and it's you gotta remember it's February and like you don't it's it's a long season. There's 162 regular season <laughs> games, so you can't burn yourself out trying to dig deep with Zach Pleasak after a 12-pitch first outing of the spring. <laughs> like you gotta You have to pace yourself, and and you got to pace the readers, too. They don't want to be burnt out by early March. All right, you got a random ending of the day? Well, I thought it would be good to talk about Tony Fernandez for a minute. Got a chance to, to talk to Sandy Almar today, and I know he only spent one year in Cleveland, but the coolest thing to me is the crazy path that he and the Almar brothers forged. So in 89, after the 89 season, the Indians trade Joe Carter to the Padres. They get Sandy Alomar and Carlos Bayerga in return. The Alomar brothers had signed with the Padres. They both came up in the Padres system. So Fernandez, um, or, or Sandy's with the Indians, Joe Carter's with the Padres. One year later the Padres trade Joe Carter and Robbie Almar to the Blue Jays for Fred McGriff and Tony Fernandez. So now, Robbie Alomar and Joe Carter are on the Blue Jays, Tony Fernandez is on the Padres, Sandy's still with the Indians, right? Two and a half years later, the uh, no, two years later, the the Padres trade Fernandez to the Mets, and six months after that, the Mets trade Fernandez to the Blue Jays. So now the Blue Jays have Carter, Fernandez, and Robbie Almar. The Indians still have Sandy, who's turned into this all-star catcher. Just got to stay healthy. In 97, he signs with the Indians before the 97 season. Tony Fernandez. Plays second base, hits the home run, makes the error in Game 7. And, of course, who replaces him at second base the year after? Robbie Almar. To play with his brother, Sandy. I mean, it, it, it just... It's crazy how their paths kept crossing and and they all ended up together kind of in Cleveland. Um, And that was cool hearing Sandy. And, you know, obviously everyone remembers him for the home run. I think some people remember him for the error as well. But the crazy part is that he wasn't supposed to play in either of those games. You know, he hits a line drive in batting practice before game six of the ALCS. It bruises Biff Roberts' finger. So then Fernandez starts at second base. He hits the home run. Um, it was funny here. I, Tom Hamilton was rehashing uh, Herb score's call <laughs> in that game where he said, the Indians are going to the World Series. Maybe. <laughs> um, as they went up 1-0 in the top of the eleventh. And then in Game 7, Pip Roberts comes down with flu-like symptoms. Tony Fernandez. Plays in that game. I think he had both RBIs for the Indians. Obviously, they blow the lead. Tony Fernandez makes the error. They lose. That was Tony Fernandez's last game with the Indians. But, you know, Sandy Alomar said he was a great teammate. He he won four gold gloves. He made five all-star teams. He had 2,200 hits. He was a 288 hitter. Um, And he didn't hit for a ton of power, but he got on base quite a bit. And he said he was a great teammate. And, And Sandy always thought he was underrated. He played 17 seasons in the majors. Really good defender. Uh, pretty durable, so um, definitely a tough loss. He was only 57, um, and he only played one season in Cleveland, but he, he was pretty good. He he filled second base when the Indians were searching and searching and searching for any options that they could find. So uh, rest in peace to Tony Fernandez.
0: Yeah, our our thoughts are with
1: his family, of course,
0: and you're right. Uh, just asked Tim McCarver how good he was against lefties in, in 1997. He only brought it up 500 (laughs) times in the game that we watched earlier this season. So we did talk a little bit about Tony Fernandez then. He is somebody that uh, if you didn't get a chance to watch him play, the numbers – and I'm not talking about just like his overall value. Um, I'm just talking about there are certain players that are just fun to watch. They play the game with a fluidity and a uh, a certain flair that makes them – more entertaining. I mean, you could say Omar Vizquel is like that. More entertaining than the stats would. You would look at the stats and say, well, the, the, he had this sort of career. And in, in terms of total value, yeah, but you're just guys that are fun to watch play or maybe you, you emulated in, in your backyard or or you just wanted to be because they looked cool doing it on the field. I, I think Tony Fernandez was, was that sort of guy. He, even going back and watching that game six home run, against Armando Benitez, his swing is just, like, it's so effortless, and he just knocks it over that gigantic fence they've got at Camden Yards. And he's not freaking out. The the most he does is he raises his arm in the air, you know, to celebrate a little bit, and the dugout's going crazy. And he just looks cool as hell (laughs) as he was doing it. So, yeah, certainly uh, glad you brought him up, and we got to spend a few minutes talking about him, because even in his year in Cleveland... Even in his year in Cleveland, uh, he left the
1: mark. Tom Hamilton said that was the only time in, in their what eight seasons together that he saw Herb score actually get out of his seat when <laughs> Fernandez hit that home run. Um, he said after Game 7 of the World Series, even, he, uh, the Indians lost, and he immediately just got up and left and didn't come back. Um, <laughs> But for game six, when when Fernandez hit that, he got up out of his seat and he, he never got excited. He never got too high or too low about anything. But that moment um, to send the Indians to their first well, their second World Series in three years. But, you know, that year, it seemed like they were destined to win their first World Series in nearly 50. Um, it was it was a moment many will never forget. And I don't even you brought up the error in game seven.
0: All these years later, I never think of that as being a difference in that game because the fact that when they lost, and so many people have said this, that lived the moment, the fact, or the the moment that they lost the lead in the ninth inning, it felt like they had lost the game. And I remember just Mm -hmm. watching, watching it and watching that game drag on in extra innings. It always felt like it was just a matter of time until Florida was going to win that game. So Going back and watching it, the air played a bigger part in that inning than I even had mentally remembered. But to me, it was when I think of the, the defining moment for, for Fernandez and Cleveland, it always come back to that game six home run to, to send them to the World Series. And the fact, as you, as you mentioned, that he wasn't even supposed to be in the lineup. Replacing Bip Roberts and coming through in that way was a storybook moment for sure.
1: Yeah, and remember, he hit lefties really well.
0: <laughs> you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And, of course, we thank each and every single one of you that helped support the podcast over at Anchor. For Zach Meisel, I'm TJ Zuppi. We are out of here. Until next time, we'll see you. The
1: Selvius Godcast featuring Zach Meisel and TJ Zuppi is presented by our supporters at Anchor. To help support the podcast, visit anchor.fm slash Godcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, we sure hope you do, be sure to leave us a five-star review. And if you have suggestions, drop us a DM on Twitter at Godcast. Thanks for listening.